If you want to be turning in your Bibles to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2 is where we're going to continue to think about and to focus on this evening. You'll remember, I think this is keenly important for us to understand, of what's really going on in 1 Peter is he's writing this book to a people who are struggling with the idea of being persecuted. People who are struggling with the idea that they're suffering in spite of the fact that they're doing the right thing. And, and I'm really looking forward to, uh, to the next couple of weeks as we really start to get into to the meat of this as he talks about some of those things specifically. But, but in that first chapter, th- there, there's this admonition that he gives us to dwell upon your salvation. Think about the fact that you're a Christian, that you have a home that's in heaven that you have a salvation that, that can't be taken away from you. I want you to dwell upon those things. And if you'll dwell upon those things, they will change your life, and they will change the way even that you deal with difficulty. Now, as we transition in, into chapter 2, he's going, to, he's going to continue that same theme of, of preparing you to deal with the struggles of life. Y- you ever have... You ever have those moments where somebody brings out the worst in you? Maybe it's in a conversation. Uh, maybe, maybe you're playing a game. I, I don't know. But, but you, you find yourself in some sort of conflict, and all of a sudden you find yourself getting on their level. You ever watch a ball game? And, 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 and there'll be, you know, sometimes um, you, I, I think about this when I watch basketball and football. All of a sudden, there'll be somebody, they'll just, they'll just blow up and like pitch a big fit, or maybe they'll get into a fight that, 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 that they're on the field. Like, what in the world does happen out there? And the reality is a lot of times, a lot of times, the person on the other side of the line or, or the person on, on, on the other side of the lane, they've just been poking at them, poking at them all night long, right? They've been poking at them. And, and, and you've been ignoring it, and you've been, you've been rising above it, and you've been, you've been overcoming it right up, until, right up until you've taken all you can take, and then it's like, boom! And like, whoa, that is, not, that is not what I wanted to say. That's not what I wanted to do, but I just got pulled down to their level, right? That same thing happens in regards to our faith at times whenever we're striving to endure, and we're striving to do what's right, and we're striving to, do, to, to, to be faithful to God, and we're striving to, to conduct ourselves as, as Christians ought to conduct themselves. And then, unfortunately, at times, even as we're striving to be light in a world of darkness, we wind up putting out our own light. And so, and so here in these first few verses... Here in these first few verses, he, he tells us, he says, putting aside all malice and guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. He says, you've got to put these things aside. Malice, this, this hatred in your heart for those who are doing these things to you. I think about how amazing it is that Jesus is able to sit and have a meal with Judas when he knows what Judas is about to do. Isn't that a testimony to to what 
it really means to be a child of God? I mean, like I've, I've said this so often, it, it, it's not hard to love some people, but, but the, the test of our faith becomes when we love those who are unlovable, when we love those who we could even qualify as our enemies. Jesus says that's, that's when the test of your faith is going to be really shown. And if you're not careful, you can lose your faith. You can lose your, your relationship and even your salvation in those moments. He says you got to put aside the malice. you got to put aside the hypocrisy. This idea that, that, that my life is not going to be consistent with my words. you got to put aside the envy. you got to put aside the, the, the slander. You, you ever, now, we all know that gossip is wrong, right? Have you ever, have you ever like caught yourself talking about somebody? Anybody? Or is that just me? You guys, if, if you don't raise your hand when I've caught myself talking about somebody, it means that you didn't actually catch yourself when you talked about somebody, okay? I, because we all have done that. But sometimes when, when we get in, especially when we're talking about those who we think are trying to harm us, or that we, we will say the most vicious things. And they're not a reflection of who we want to be, but yet those things come out of our mouth. That's the danger, right? He says you've got to put those things aside. That's a challenge. That's a challenge. But if I don't live up to that challenge, then, then, then the opposition to my faith is going to overcome me. I'm going to be no better off than, than, than those who are persecuting me are because I'm going to sink down to their level. When you put those things aside, he says, he says this in verse 2, and we, we, we know th- these words here, And then like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the Word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. He says, okay, there's all those things that you've got to take out of your house. But I'm tempted to leave them in there, but I've got to sweep the house. I've got to clean those things out of the house. But then I've got to fill the house. I can't, I can't just be empty. I, I, I just can't be the people that are opposed to this and opposed to that. I've got to be, I've got to be someone who actually stands for something. And, and so, so I must pursue God and godliness and the Word of God in the same way, in the same way that, that a newborn child longs for the pure milk of the Word. And, and if, if, if you don't remember what it's like to have a child that wants to eat at 2 in the morning, they don't care that you're sleeping, right? I mean, they will scream their, their, cute, their cute little heads off right until you get in there and give them what they want, right? I mean, they, I want it, and I know I have to have it, and I'm going to let you know about it. He says that that's, that ought to be the attitude that we have. I, it's not just that I want to know the Word of God more. I don't just want to be a better student of God's Word. I I want those things because I want to grow. Because I know I need to grow. I know I've got to get stronger. If if I'm going to endure this battle that we're in, because I'm telling us that Satan and the world, it's going to come at you with everything that it's got over and over and over again, right? He's never giving up i got to prepare for that. In the same way that, that, that I prepare for battle, in the same way that I prepare for war, and in those moments that I've lost so often, it's just because I wasn't ready for the fight. I didn't prepare myself. 
So he says, he says I want you to prepare yourself with, with, with that, that pure milk of God's Word so that you might grow. Not so that you'll be more saved than you were before, but so that you will have a deeper understanding of godliness and the will of God in your life. That, 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 that's something that every one of us needs to take really seriously. There, there, there's no one in this room who, who doesn't need to grow, and, and I hope that we all feel that. Those of you who probably feel it the most are probably those who are the most mature in Christ. I, I can tell you the more I know about the Bible, the more I know how much I don't know about the Bible. The more I grow in my own faith, the more I see my own sin. To me, that's what maturity really is. It was in immaturity that I thought I had all the answers. It was in immaturity that I I didn't think I had much farther to go. He says, I want you to to grow, to to desire these things. I was listening to um, this lesson, not, it was, I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago, but it stuck in my head, and I actually looked it up this afternoon. But there was, there was this preacher, and he talked about being in China and, and, and meeting with, with, with some, some of, I guess, what you would call the, the, some of the underground church there in China. And he said that he met together with 22 Christians. And, and they took a 13-hour train ride to basically have some sort of a spiritual retreat and those 22, those 22 individuals met together in, in a 700-square-foot hotel room. And, and, and so they were going, through, I don't even know what they were studying, but they were trying to grow and to understand more about God's Word. And, and he started to ask them, he said, so, so what happens if we get caught here? What happens if we get caught here? And they said, well, if you get caught here, you'll be deported within 24 hours. I mean, the government will say, you've, you've got to go. If we get caught here, we'll be in prison for the next three years. And I just thought, man, wow. The, the, the interesting thing was that, that they were saying this almost entirely as people who had already been imprisoned. Like everybody there had done time, okay? Like, you, you, I mean, that, 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 that's kind of the mentality of what was going on there. But, but as he looked at them, and as they were going about their studies, he realized that, that they had a limited number of Bibles, and, and there were some people who were just letting others have the Bibles, and there was an older woman who was there, and they turned over, I think, I think he said it was like to, uh, I think it was Second Peter that, that, that they were reading from, and he noticed this older woman was actually reciting Second Peter chapter one. She was reciting it. Now I, I went to school with a couple guys. They could, you know, they could like start in Genesis and go all the way to Revelation. I mean, it's, <laughs> uh, I can't do that. Um, even if I tried, I don't think I. I, I that, that's man. It's just kind of amazing, and it kind of caught his eye too. And he, he, so he asked this woman. He's like, "How do you? <laughs> how can you do that?" And and she looked at him and she said, "Well, you have a lot of time." in prison, and, and she began to tell him about how when she was in prison that people would smuggle in portions of the Word of God on little slips of paper, and then she would memorize it, and she said the guards would always find it and the guards would always take it away, but, but it didn't matter because if I put it in my heart, they could never take that away. 
I mean, that's kind of amazing. I mean, you, you, so I, I thought about that when I thought about this. Long for the pure milk of God's word. And I don't know, I think every one of us stands and says, wow. I mean, I don't, I don't know that nobody's going to be telling a story about, about me like that. At least, unfortunately, I don't think they are. But that's kind of the, the idea that you're going to need these things. He, he said at the end of three days that some, some of, some of the, the people there asked him if he would pray. And they asked him if he would pray, pray that one day we, talking about the, the people there in China, could be just like you. He said, when they asked that, he said, I, I, I can't do that. I mean, I'm going to pray that we will be like you. I mean, you're the ones who rode 13 hours in a train to get here and sat on the floor for three days and are memorizing the Bible off of little pieces of paper that people are smuggling into jail. He said, I, I, don't, I don't want you to become like us. I mean, you know, anybody up for a 13-hour trip to church next week, <laughs> right? Hey, let's, let's, get all, let's take all the pews out of here, and we'll just sit on the concrete floor next week. I mean, I thought we would struggle with that, wouldn't we? But, but that's, that's this attitude that he says, I want you to have that, because you're going to need it. You're going to need that strength. There are things you're going to face in your life that are going to be bigger than you are stronger and more they're going to take more strength than you have today and i'm not a fortune teller but i've just lived enough life to know that's the case how are you preparing for that if you have tasted the kindness of the lord it's the imagery that 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 the psalmist will use when when he's when he talks about about tasting to see that the lord is good I mean, that, that, that imagery of, you know what? I mean, I, I got one of Miss Beverly Kay's cookies, and it was, oh, it was awesome. And I'm like, I just, I got to have another one, right? Thomas, have you ever eaten just one? No, I was just seeing if you tell the truth in church or not, right? It's like, I mean, this is, I mean, this is so, oh, I, got, I, I, I just want to have more. Or I go, you know, I, maybe you got a favorite restaurant and like, oh, this steak is so good. And you, you, you know, you got you, you to gotta taste some of this, right? I mean, it's. It's so good that you actually want to share it with everybody else. That's the passion that he's saying. I want you to feel that same way about your growth in Christ. Because you're going to need those things. And, and the truth is, the truth is, as you struggle with, with these things that are impacting you from the outside, you've you, you got to change the way that you think to, to understand that really you're just like Christ. There's always been this tendency in our minds to think, if, if we are Christians, if we look like Christ, then that ought to be an honored status. Can anybody, anybody feel that way? It ought to be an honored status. I mean, people, like, the world ought to appreciate the fact that we're Christians. I, and I know intellectually you, you, you may know that, that that's not true, but, but would you think that people would say um, it's a good thing or a bad thing that you're here tonight? That's a, that's a good thing, right? I mean, it, could, it would be like weird if, if, you know, if my neighbors, if they go to church, if they go to worship, I'd say that's a good thing. And if they don't, I'm going to say, mm, that's a bad thing. That's kind of the natural way that we tend to think about that. But to understand that, listen, people didn't view Christ that way. People didn't view Christ that way. 
And so they're not going to view us that way. Coming to him, I'm putting aside this malice, this hypocrisy, this envy. I'm thirsting for the things of God and I'm coming to Christ. Coming to him as a living stone rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. So whether we're talking about Jesus or we're talking about us, he's saying, he's saying I want you to know that when rejection is faced, when the world rejects you or when the world rejects, rejected Christ, is that an accurate assessment of who he really was? Is that an accurate assessment of who you really are? He says, no. It's not. The world may reject it. The world may not appreciate you or your faith or anything like that, right? But the truth is, no matter what the world thinks, the reality is one that you are choice and precious in the sight of God. As living stones, just like that. As living stones, you are being built up as as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So so this is this idea that no matter what the world says about you, God is doing something special and significant and spiritual in your life. I don't get applause very often, but I I appreciate it whenever I can get it, right? I love William. He's listening. He's giving me, he, was, he was applauding as he came in for me. They, uh, you know, I like everybody, but maybe a little bit more that way. But, 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 but this, idea, this idea here in, in verse 6 where he says, for this is contained in Scripture. He's going to quote from Isaiah and from the Psalms. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. Great. Wonderful. Jesus, a good thing or a bad thing? He's a good thing, right? A precious thing, a wonderful thing. That's the reality. But, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this has become the very cornerstone. Jesus himself made reference to this, like in Matthew chapter 21. He's pulling from the Psalms, Right? He became that, uh, the book of Romans talks about how he became that stumbling stone. It, it's, it, it's the fact that you have come to Christ, that is your salvation. But, but listen, it's, it's that very same, it's the lack of that very same fact that becomes condemnation for others. Right? And so you have to shift the way that, that, you're, that, that there's the way the world sees things, which we're tempted to view things from that perspective. And there's the way that God sees things. He says, you're coming You're coming just as He came, choice and precious in the sight of God, but rejected by men. So don't be shocked at this. Don't be surprised at this. And and, and I think as we we have come out of and and, and are coming out of this time of cultural Christianity where, and and there's blessings and curses that that go along with this, but but we're coming out of this this time within our history where being a Christian has been a good thing. One of the downsides of that is that we just expect everyone to acknowledge that it's a good thing. And then when someone doesn't acknowledge it's a good thing, we struggle with that. We think, I mean, this is like the end of the world. I mean, how can they not thank me for my faith? He says, they didn't thank Jesus for his faith. They didn't thank Jesus for his faith. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were also appointed. 
But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You ever, you ever have these times in your life where you're like, it's getting beat down, beat down, beat down, beat down, and you don't see the purpose? Like, what is the, what is the end goal of, of all of this, right? You ever, you ever have a coach that has pushed you and pushed you and pushed you, and it's like, oh, this is horrible. And, and one, of, one of the marks of a good coach is they'll, they'll help you to have some understanding. Okay, this is, the, this is where we're going with this. This, this is the reality of this. It's kind of the same mentality he's giving here in 1 Peter chapter 2 as they're struggling with all these outside influences and all these outside persecutions. Okay, but that's not how God sees these, these things. God says, no, you're a chosen race. In a world that says you're the problem, doesn't that, doesn't that just kind of make you mad? kind of get under your skin a little bit. It's becoming more and more popular to talk about Christianity and Christians as if they're the problem. You've been reading some of this stuff that's out there? I mean, it's, it's, it's becoming more and more prevalent in our world where, I mean, people aren't, they're not shy about it, okay? Um, all sorts of horrible things. And God says, no, 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 no. You're a chosen race. You're the royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people of God's own possession. You need, to, you need to understand that. And the reason that you are that is that you have a mission, a purpose, to proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. So, so if I'm out there and I'm trying to share His, his faith and I'm trying to, sh- to shine His light and the world is saying, you know, Shut it up, shut it down, stay, you know, you, you, you be quiet. And Peter's saying, don't do that. That's not what we're here for, right? Matter of fact, th- this is our goal. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So just like, almost like in chapter, chapter 1, he's saying, I want you to remember I want you to remember where you've come from. You were not a people. Do, do you? I think it's. Do, do you remember before you became a Christian? Now, now, for some of you, that's a real. For some of you, that that's a hard question, and for some of you, that's a really easy question, right? But but I think it's important, and he does this in Ephesians chapter two. Where, where, where he says, I want, I want you to remember when you were a stranger, when you were disobedient, when you had no hope, when you were not a people, right? When all these things, they did not apply to you. And maybe you had an understanding of that, or maybe you came to an understanding of that. And I'm hoping if you're sitting here tonight, you're saying, I, I am all of these things. I am a part of that royal priesthood and that holy nation. But, but sometimes when I've been a part of that holy nation for so long, I begin, I begin to forget how special it is. And how impactful it is. I, I remember that there was a, there was a young man uh, who was in our youth group when we were, um, Sean and I first got married. Cody was his name. And Cody was a, he was a, he was a, he was a little bit slow. I mean, he was, he, I'll, I'll just say he, he was a little slow. I don't know exactly what, what was wrong with him. Um, he probably functioned on a sixth, seventh grade level. But he, want, he wanted to become a Christian. Wanted to be baptized. 
And, uh, and I sat down and I talked with him, and I tried to talk him out of it, because basically, I mainly I wanted to see what he'd say, right? And I will, ne- I will never forget, he, he looked at me, and he, he kind of, I won't mimic him, but he had kind of a broken um, s- sort of verbiage, and a little bit of a stutter, and he said, you can't stop me. He got really mad at me, right? Like, and I was like, well, okay, yeah, that's exactly the answer I was hoping to get, right? I mean, do you, I mean, if, if I, I couldn't talk this young man out of it. I think he would have run through a wall. I think he would have run through a wall to serve God and be right with God. And I hope that you remember some of that feeling. Like, I, I'm outside of Christ, and I'm going to do everything I can to be in Christ. I'm going to sacrifice what I have to sacrifice. I'm going to do what I have to do. I'm going to repent in the ways I have to repent. I'm going to turn my life upside down. I'm going to get right with Christ. But then this thing happens as time passes where we begin just to take this thing for granted. And and we stop thinking in these radical terms, and then all of a sudden those sacrifices, you know, I mean, I know we're supposed to make sacrifices, but I'm not sure I want to do that. Cody, the end of that story, actually, um, about eight years after the fact, once he got out of high school, actually he fell away. I didn't do it. He chose that. And, what, and there are lots of things that brought that about, but Peter is saying, I want you to remember. Remember when you had not received mercy, and then remember that you have received mercy and be changed by those things. Beloved, there's two more verses, and we'll, we'll wrap this up. Next week, we get into the really good stuff, okay? Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Aliens and strangers. I want you to take on that mentality of, I'm not from this place. When I went down um, to... I've been down to Latin America a couple times, and I will teach the students or the, or, the, or the faculty down there. And sometimes if Jack isn't there to cook for me, he'll, he'll set up. I appreciate you, Jack, cooking for me. Uh, but, but he'll set up uh, one of the ladies there who cooks for the single students, and she'll, she'll cook for me. Okay? And I will never forget one of the first times I went, and I was very polite, but she set some food in front of me. And to be quite honest, I didn't know what to do with it. I was like, uh, thank you. <laughs> you know, I got, some, I got some raisins back in the room. I didn't say that. I thought that, right? It was like, this, is, this, is, this, isn't one of, this isn't some of my stuff here, okay? And very graciously, I show up the next day, didn't even say a word, and she had, she had, some, uh, she had some Papa Fritas, some French fries there for me, right? And I was like, thank you very much. <laughs> I appreciate it. She saw my discomfort. But, but it's that mentality I thought about of, okay, these, these things, these things that wage war against the soul, they're the things of the world. And I'm not from the world. I'm not of the world. See, it's all about, it's all about the, the, this mental shift. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may be on account of your good deeds as they observe them, glorifying God in the day of visitation. 
I, I want you to look at these, I mean, even go back to the beginning of the chapter, things like malice, hypocrisy, right? When I see those things, when I see, when I see people with anger and bitterness, when I see people with the, the, these sinful things in their life that they're embracing, I want to identify those things and say, oh, that's something that people of the world engage themselves in. That's not something that the people of God engage in. That doesn't mean I'm not tempted in those things. That's why we're talking about this, because we are tempted in those things. But to have the shift of, oh, I don't talk that way. Why? Because I don't want to? No, that's not it. Because I don't have a temper? Nope, that's not it. Because I'm not, you know, I hold my, that's, it's because of who I am. And when you do that, here's the deal. You're going to be light in a world of darkness. You're going to shine that light all around. The world's going to say what they're going to say. Most of you have lived long enough to have people in the world, unfortunately, sometimes even in the church, say things about you that are slanderous. And there are those things that the only way to overcome them is just to show them something different. Does that make sense? He's going to talk about that even a little bit more in, uh, in chapter 3. Keep a good, chapter 3 and verse 16, keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So, I mean, I mean, yeah, Miss Beverly makes those cookies and she just keeps them all to herself. Doesn't care about anybody else but herself, just keeps them all to herself. Can you believe that, Theresa? What a horrible person. You, you don't believe that. Why not? Because you've seen something different. That's the only, that's the only way. She can, well, well I, 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 I don't keep them on to myself. Oh, you do. It's my word against your word. But then everybody else, everybody, no, you've seen those things, right? It's the only way to overcome those things. That's what he's saying about our Christian walk, to see ourselves as different, to show people. That, that's how we become this light. Hey, there's something different. There's something different about that person. What's different? This isn't about cookies, this, this, is, this is about shining the light of Christ. What's different is about God, that they may see them and observe them and glorify God. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, right? He said to, 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 to let your light shine so that people may see your good works and glorify Him. Not see your good works and say, aren't you wonderful? No, because you're not. But they might see your good works and they might say, what a great God they serve. And if we have that mentality, even when the world pounds on us, listen, that's not going to overcome me because I know who I am and I know whose I am. And I know how they treated him and I know how they're going to, how they're going to treat me. And I'm not going to break that easily because I have a home in heaven. That's what he's saying to these Christians who are, who are struggling to process the fact that I'm striving to do what is right and I feel like I'm suffering even when I do what's right. He says, you put your trust and you put your faith in the Lord. We could probably go around the room and we could give different situations where how these things apply in our lives. That's one of the things I think is so amazing about the Scriptures is that it doesn't have to be a one-size-fits-all thing, right? These principles apply in all of our lives because Satan's going to attack all of us in different ways. But we must apply them to where we are today so that tomorrow we will continue to be strong because we have prepared ourselves. We have grown in respect to our salvation. 
If you don't know the salvation of Jesus Christ, listen, the very first thing you've got to do is to be born again. The seed's been planted. Water is placed upon the seed. You have to come. Repent of your sins. Be baptized for the remission of those sins. Walk in His light. There is a battle that is coming. I I wish I had details about what that is. There's a battle coming, probably in your personal life. There are battles that are probably coming in our congregational life. There are battles that are coming in our community, battles that are coming in our nation, battles that are coming in our world that will threaten our faith. And Peter is saying, prepare yourself for battle. Friends, if you're not ready, get yourself ready tonight as we stand and as we sing.